1: Alright, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I have got a fellow Wisconsinite, Josh Isley. Now, this guy has traveled the globe hunting big game animals, and it wasn't always that way. He kind of had a break out of that mold that he grew up in, you know, going after whitetail for nine days a year, or fishing the local ponds or lakes or streams there in Wisconsin and the stories that this guy has, the experiences, and the big changes that he's made to allow him to go out and do these hunts is pretty awesome. I'm super pumped about this episode. Let's jump in.
0: Like, he was doing things that were just badass.
1: That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. all right guys welcome to today's show on the show with me today i've got josh isley now i'm pumped about this episode because just off of your instagram man the pictures that you've got on there the scenery the stories that i'm sure are insane behind some of those hunts have to be pretty cool so thanks for hopping on with me
0: yeah thank you i appreciate it glad to be here
1: yeah, why don't you share with the listeners and with me, because I don't know a ton about you, aside from a couple of questions you filled out in the uh, podcast, I guess, application form, whatever you want to call it. Um, other than that, I don't know a whole lot, and uh, the listeners don't either, so why don't you share?
0: Sure, yeah, no problem. Uh, not too exciting. I'm just a regular guy, uh, mechanical engineer. I, I sit behind a desk all day and, and dream about being in the woods and in the mountains, so I, I grew up on a dairy farm in southern Wisconsin. We, we hunted deer once a year in our nine-day season, chasing them around with slug guns and, and driving deer, pushing them, shooting them running just to fill the freezers. And uh, My grandfather used to go out west with his buddies. I think it was more just a get away from the wives thing more than it was serious hunting, but I saw the pictures and heard the stories and just fell in love with it at, at a young age and have always dreamed of... Hunting just about anything that uh, walks, crawls, or flies. So, um, I'm a small town guy. Grew up in the country. I still live in the country here in southern Wisconsin, uh, in the Driftless, and uh, chase whitetails and turkeys around here, and hunt mushrooms and go west and north. And just got back from uh, Oceana. Actually, I was in New Zealand for ten day hunt down there. So,
1: dang. That's, that's big time. I mean, traveling across state lines is a big deal for me. I hadn't hunted out of state until well into college and then to talk about like international trips or even going outside the continental U S up to Alaska. Those, those are big time deals, especially for somebody from small town,
0: Wisconsin. I know that feeling. Yeah. It's been a long time coming. I mean, I'm in my forties now. Right. And I didn't really start traveling to hunt until my mid thirties. So it's just been, you know, the last, uh, maybe my early thirties, last 10 years, maybe that I really started, um, having the funds and the time and the wherewithal to do those kind of hunts.
1: Yeah. Is that, is that something that growing up, like you saw TV shows or, you know, the hunting videos, people doing this stuff, or has it recently
0: been, um, kind of researched the different hunts that are available? Yeah, it's been more recent. Really, growing up, I was big into fishing. I had all the Bassmaster magazines and going to the post office and filling out money orders when I was 10 years old so I could order some new Rapala from Bass Pro Shops <laughs> or whatever, right? The older I got, the more uh, it, was, it was more difficult. The hunting was really hard. Um, where these animals live is really difficult, especially some of the mountain animals, right, chasing elk and mule deer and tar, and I'm really trying hard to get a sheep hunt in, and these are things that are really difficult to do, and that always intrigued me, so the harder it is, the more excited I get about trying to do it, And so I don't know, I think I was about 30 or 32 and wasn't very healthy, kind of smoking, eating garbage, and doing stuff like that, and I finally got it in my head that I want to be able to go and chase an elk at 13,000 feet or something I got changed my life so I quit all that stuff and got in shape and that's when I started researching and reading and talking to the fish and game department in Idaho about all their public land and that's kind of what got the wheels in motion to get me out and out and about in the western states and outside of just sitting in a tree stand here in Wisconsin.
1: That's cool. It seems like the hunting and fitness world have kind of collided in a lot of ways, and people are making those changes. I mean, you have people like Cameron Haynes and Joe Rogan and John Dudley and all these different people kind of promoting that lifestyle, the whole mountain ops crew and the elk shape guys. and. It's sad cuz I talk to people, like I've got people in my life that I talk to and they're I'm like, "Dude, are you ever going to get out west? You ever going to go chase elk?" Oh, no way. Like I know I couldn't do that. I'm not in shape and I'm like, "The best time is now. Well, the best time was yesterday and the second yeah. best time is now, so like start now. In a couple of years, you might be at that point where you can get out there and obviously priorities are different for different people and some people don't want to give up certain things and so right uh, but the fitness side of it is real. I mean, you gotta—you can't just be drinking a six-pack every night and then uh, think you're gonna change elevation by ten thousand feet and go hike around chasing after an animal that can scale a mountain in three minutes.
0: No, that's absolutely right. I mean, I'm—I'm I'm kind of beat up too. I was a, a wrestler and a football player, and I ran track and did all that stuff in high school, right? And so my knees are shot, and I still hurt from coming down out of that. Dotland land in New Zealand with that tar on my back man I'm I'm kind of a hurting unit so it's a it's a big deal I gotta stay after it or I get I get sore pretty quick
1: talk to me about that New Zealand hunt because I feel like that is at the top or near the top of a lot of people's bucket list when it comes to hunting
0: yeah absolutely it was on mine and I just I mean I got divorced a couple years ago my son's grown and gone now he's 24 he's off doing his own thing so I'm able to funnel funds kind of to where i want them to go and it's something i've been thinking about since i started mountain hunting and i've told everybody that i met when i was in new zealand like in the u.s in the mountain hunting community everybody i know this is like the mecca it's the place yeah. to come <laughs> and test your metal, right and it's just like anything else you can do it the easy way or you can do it the hard way um, and for me i wanted to do it as, as hard as possible so we did it on public land um, I actually hunted four animals while I was there. I did fallow deer and red stag and chamois. And those were all on private land, but it wasn't high fence. It was just like hunting a cattle farm here. It was a sheep and cattle farm there. Yeah. Um, I did a bunch of research, talked to some different guys, finally found an, an outfitter that had that kind of an, uh, an operation going on. Um, you can go over there and do it yourself. And it's not too hard to hunt there. It's just a matter of finding the animals. And since I was going, I wanted to pay an outfitter so that I at least had an opportunity to be successful and see country and be safe. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of treacherous. We, uh, we had really good weather f- for the first part and then it got kind of rainy, but uh, the real hard stuff was going up the river. We went several miles up a river in a Toyota land cruiser crossed the river a couple times, got stuck a few times. It was real wild getting in there and then climbing. We climbed from 2,700 feet up to 6,400 where right. I shot my tar. And so we made that climb a couple of days before I found a good one. And I thought I was a good judge of animals, but judging an 11 inch tar from a 13 inch tar, <laughs> two inches is hard to see even through a spotter. So yeah. I'm glad I had somebody with me that knew what they were doing. But I mean, it's a real rugged country and everything you think of New Zealand being is exactly what it was. Waterfalls and real thick bush. And they've got this bush called a Matagari that's got real long spines on it. So I mean, I came down sweaty and bloody and happy, just like you'd expect, <laughs> right? So you you hunted four out of
1: those four. What did you come down with? You said the tar.
0: Is yeah, that- I, sh- I got all four animals. Nice. So it was good. Yep. Yeah. Um, the The sheep farm, right? The The deer were just living in with the sheep and everything else. They were hiding in the matagui and and so we were just glassing and walking and. Um, I shot a pretty decent fallow buck, the red stag that I shot. Um, I think he probably escaped from a farm somewhere cause he was bigger than he should have been. The bush stags don't get that big. There's a lot yeah. of pressure. Uh, and it's really interesting. The, the animals there are all invasive. They were all brought to New Zealand. None of them are from there. And so there's a lot of debate between the government and the hunters and just the general population about whether they should be there and how many there should be so it was really interesting to learn about as well but that that stag was really a nice one um he uh he gave us a good stock and we got in close i made a good shot so that was fun he was way bigger than i thought he'd be shot hunting wild stag yeah So i was really pumped, pumped about that um, I, I just don't know how big they are, right? Like, uh, maybe they're the size of a mule deer. No, oh, they're like a small elk. These things are enormous. <laughs> it's like a Thule elk kind of. Oh my gosh. Um, and I think actually the coolest animal that I hunted was the chamois. They're just little bitty guys. And they remind me of our mountain goats. Okay. They've got this, the same type of horn. They've got the same type of black, uh, gland behind the horn on their head and they were running, So they were chasing nannies around and just, like uh, a baby goat when you see a baby goat jumping around on rocks and bouncing off of other things and knocking things over that's what those chamois were doing up in the mountains climbing up there and watching those things just chase nannies around all day um it was it was gorgeous it was almost like you gotta watch where you're looking so you don't step off a cliff and fall to your death but it was (laughs) (laughs) it was pretty wild
1: yeah seeing those mountain hunts it just seems like I feel like one of the reasons they're, they're at the top of everybody's bucket list is because even if you don't walk away with an animal, the scenery, the challenge, just the physical and mental challenge of it is is worth the price of admission. You know, like going out there and just testing yourself, seeing if you can do it and then walking away with, I'm sure, a thousand different stories from it. Uh, it'd be worth it even if you didn't pull the trigger.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I got a cramp in my arm from pulling my phone out and taking pictures so many times, hiking <laughs> up and hiking down, even just to get up to where these animals live and just watch them and just watch the animals and how they interact with each other. It's different than anything here. Um, and it's the closest you can get like a chamois to actually go hunt a chamois in Europe where they're from is impossible. So yeah. it's really, I feel really blessed and lucky that I had the opportunity to do that and to see those animals. That's cool. Uh, did you, did you rifle hunt everything over there? I did. Yep. I, uh, I know my limitations and (laughs) I love to archery hunt, but I am not a very good shot. (laughs) I struggle with the bow. So yeah, I took, I took a rifle. I had a rifle built for me last year by a guy in uh, New Mexico did a great job. Loved that rifle. I uh, got tired of carrying all that weight. The older I get, the more I'm willing to give up dollars for pounds. Yep. (laughs) What uh, what rifle is it, or like, what caliber? What's your setup? I have a 6.5 PRC, and I use that for just about everything. Um, it's been really good to me. I know there's a lot of debate in the world about the six-point-five, but um, it's killed everything I pointed at. Ed, pointed it pointed at so it's been good to me. I a guy named Barry Bass built it for me. He's got a little company uh, called Silencer Tech. I'll give him a shout out. Overwhelm him, maybe. Yeah, great guy, like one of the best humans. There is, he wants everything to be just right. He makes sure that you're taken care of. He's really good at communicating and, and he made me a really sweet rifle. So, um, the whole thing all in with the bipod and everything was like seven and a half pounds. So it can be a little squirrely to shoot, but, um, if I've got a good rest and and I'm steady, if I miss, it's my fault. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. No, that's sweet, man. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big believer in the six, five rounds. I mean, it seems like every six, five round that's come out now is pretty lethal and I feel like people think they're too cool to say that six five's cool. I'm like, I don't know what you have against it. It's an awesome round like <laughs> yeah if everybody who's used one, I haven't met somebody who's actually used one taken it hunting, shot it you know multiple times that walked away and said, oh, this is a stupid round. nobody should buy this, you know <laughs> yeah right I just feel like you haven't used it or you like it.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, to me, it's like picking a wife, right? Everybody's got a different thing they like, so to yep. each their own. But for me, I mean, I've shot several elk, including bull elk, uh, my tar, you know, big red stag, white tails, uh, mule deer, antelope, you name it. I shot my mountain goat in British Columbia last October at 420 yards with one shot, and that's 6'5 PRC, and just rolled him, right? So Dang. just like anything else, if you make a good shot and you have a decent bullet, you're going to kill him. So. Yeah. To me, it's not worth an argument worth having. Pick what you like and get proficient with it. I think that's the biggest thing is don't buy a new rifle and go out and hunt next week. Spend some time behind it. Make sure you understand what the rifle does, what the bullet does, and different wind and different elevation, different humidity conditions, right? Because you can you can miss. I made kind of a marginal shot on my chamois because there was a big updraft. I was shooting across this long canyon at 350 yards and there was a big updraft and I was waiting for the, the gusts to stop and trying to keep an eye on the animal and keep an eye on what the wind's doing and the rain's coming down there's so many variables had to make a second shot right so if you know what you, what your rifle's doing um was able to make a good follow-up shot then
1: yeah no that makes perfect sense um there there's something about shooting animals at distance i don't know what it is like it, it's the in-between distance everyone's like ah Like nobody's like, oh, I made a hundred yard shot. You know, it's like you're either on top of an animal with a bow or you're making a long shot. And those are the two that just seem so awesome. You have the one that's super intimate and like the closer you get, the more your adrenaline's pumping Then the other one, the farther you shoot. It's like, it takes skill. You have to know your equipment. Nobody's going out there and shooting animals at 700 yards by chance. It's people who know their equipment, who have put time behind it and I somebody told me years ago or I heard it somewhere they're like however much you spend on a rifle spend that much on your optic and spend that much on your ammo and shoot the ammo like yeah go out there and put the rounds down range so that you know what it's going to do in every setting before you go out and shoot and it hasn't steered me wrong it hasn't steered anybody wrong that
0: I know that's actually put that to practice yeah it's great advice I'm lucky I've got a little 40 acre plot here and until the corn gets too high, I can still shoot 500 yards. So <laughs> <That's> <laughs> get, sweet. It, get it all in, in, in the winter and in spring. Once the corn gets too high, I'm kind of out of luck, but uh, yeah, I, I have a self-imposed limit. I won't shoot over 500 yards. I just, I, I feel like too much can go wrong. And know there's a yep. lot of guys that can do that and, uh, you know, hats off to them. To me, uh, I don't, I don't have enough confidence in myself, I guess. So that's my limit, but yeah. It's served me well to not shoot over there. I like the stock. I really like to try to get as close as I can, even when I'm rifle hunting. That's the part, to me, that chess match of using the terrain and the wind and what's the animal doing and try to get in as close as possible and sneak up and get a close shot that they don't know I'm there. That's that's exciting and fun part for me. So I really enjoy that. Oh, yeah. The stock is... I mean, you go into predator mode, right? Yeah. You,
1: when, when you're in a tree stand and nothing against sitting in the tree stand i still love going back to wisconsin and hunting every rifle season i love sitting in a saddle with my bow and so nothing knocking that but when you're actually on the ground and you're having to think about every step you're having to think about like you said the wind direction or the thermals where are the animals at what are they doing where are they heading you just go into this like primal predator mode and it's the funnest thing ever that for some reason, That's that and rush. the pack out, like the the misery of the pack out, <laughs> I look back on it and I'm like, dang, I'd I'd go back and do that
0: again. Yeah, the pack out is one of those like second degree fun. It's not fun when you're doing it, but it's sure fun when you're done to remember yeah. that you did it. Yeah, yeah. Nope, you think it's I never agree. gonna
1: end in the moment, and then once the moment's done, you wish it wasn't.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, and I've. I've uh, I've done a lot of tree stand hunting and, and I love whitetail hunting, but for me, I'm just so damn impatient. Like I want to, I want to move. Let's go hike. Let's go get to them. So tough, tough to do that with whitetails. Oh yeah. Although I'm I, seeing more guys doing it. They're starting to stalk whitetails on the ground. These guys are like ghosts. It's pretty amazing.
1: There's years where I wish I, I'm like, maybe I'll just go walk cornrows. Cause I've watched the guys creep through the cornrows, but it seems like Nowadays, the cornrows are planted so close together that it's like impossible to see down. I remember back in the day, my dad would send me and my cousin and my brother through the corn. He's like, just go drive this cornfield for me. And he'd stand at the end of it with a 30-30 waiting for a deer to shoot out. And I felt like back then you could look down the rows 70 yards and actually see things. And
0: now you go through and you can't see anything more than five feet. Yeah. Well, I could see a lot more when I was eight years old and driving deer for my grandpa because I was pretty close to the ground, but yeah, I think they're closer (laughs) together too.
1: Yeah. It, it, it seems pretty sweet though. Like the guys that actually do it, that they find those cornfields that work for it and they just get on the downwind side and they just work their way row to row across looking both directions. I feel like that would be pretty adrenaline. I mean, like you might just walk right up on a whitetail and they feel so secure in that corn.
0: Yep. It's happened. I mean, we've, we've shot them out of cornfields driving deer when we were kids. We'd walk up on them, but
1: haven't tried it in a long time. So. Yeah, I haven't done that one in, in quite a while. So, run me through, let's say, going 10 years back, because you fairly recently got into Western hunting and then that kind of branched into hunting all of these crazy animals. Walk me through the list of species or maybe locations
0: that you've been hunting over the past decade? Sure, so it started of course here in Wisconsin and then as I started branching out to go west, um, a buddy of mine knew a guy who was married to a girl who knew a guy, you know how that goes, who used to guide in Wyoming and he was willing to take us out and kind of show us some public land and kind of break our cherry on, on hunting mule yeah. deer in the west. And so that I think was 2009 or 2010 maybe. And so we went out and did that and that was the, my first exposure. So I was lucky. I had a guy who had three or four days to spend with us. And so we went out and walked public land and hiked. And him and I both shot some little forkies, right? Our first ever mule deer. And that kind of lit the fire. Like I got to see what it was like to hunt the sage country and to glass all day rather than sit in a tree, right? Hike and glass and hike and glass. And I'm like, oh, I'm getting a workout. and I feel good. and My lungs are burning. And that's kind of what started the, the passion. And then I um, leveraged that guy who knew a farmer and a rancher out there and I started making phone calls to the rancher and writing them letters and he let me come out and the first time I did it solo I think maybe it was 2012 or 2011 a couple years later so then I went back and I started this was kind of before the OnX was around and so you had to go through the websites and, and find the public land and I'd I'm an engineer, so I went to the office. I don't work for that company anymore, so I guess I can say this now. And I printed off all the maps at the office <laughs> printer on on big, big sheets of um, paper for drawings. And I started scouring over where all the public land was right and so that was interesting to me too like the research part of it and the figuring stuff out like the pre-work and the chess match that kind of okay where would I be if I was a mule deer considering I'm from Wisconsin and know nothing about the animal you know (laughs) and so uh, and then I just I went out by myself and and I found this piece of public and I just started walking and walking and two days in I came across a group of three nice bucks and made a good shot got my first really nice mule deer I'm sitting here looking at him actually he's above me in my office Um, so, and then I shot an antelope the next day. And so i got both of them on my first solo hunt that I shot, that I packed out myself. It took me a couple of trips. Right. And then I was sold. Like, I just went and figured this out. I did it like it's doable, right? It's not this pie in the sky. Like, oh my God, I can never figure this out. Half the battle is just taking the first step, you know, get out there and, and go do it and learn on the fly. And so I've been going back to those same spots and learning that area kind of in, in Eastern Wyoming for like 12 years now so i kind of know the area and i've seen how it's changed over the years and then then i set myself set set my sights on the elk like that's the ultimate like north american i can reach i can go try and do that so i went into the eagle's nest wilderness in colorado up north of dillon there maybe 2013 i think is when i went um, went in by myself. I hired a guy to take me in on horseback and just drop me off and leave me. And then I had him kind right. of on, 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 uh, retainer or whatever on standby in case I shot one to help me get it out. Cause I wasn't sure. I mean, I was six and a half or seven miles in up on the continental divide and didn't really know what I didn't know at that point. I was really green. If I shoot an 800 pound bull, am I going to be able to get the thing out? Right. And <laughs> so I, I wanted to make sure I had some help because I didn't want to waste any meat. Um, and I mean, I had to relocate camp a couple of times across the river. I actually got into elk my first time out there. I found some. Of course, I had my bow and I missed. So, but I got, I got into them. And so I considered it a win, right? I went out there, I figured it out. I got into them. Um, I kind of stopped hunting archery elk. I don't hear very well. And so not being able to hear them bugle. Yeah. I mean, I was 30, 30 yards from cows and I couldn't hear them. And God was like, you hear them there. I'm like, no, I can't hear them. So that kind of has ended my hunting for bugling elk i like the mule deer hunt and um things where i could use my glasses a little more so maybe if i can get into the sage country get out into nevada or arizona or someplace like that maybe i can do some more some more elk hunting but that's kind of when i switched to hunting more with the rifle in the later seasons yeah um so that's kind of been my solo adventures and then once i got my son off i uh, started looking at you now what can i afford pay a guide to do some of these other things I want to do so I did hire a, a guide in Colorado to take me I wanted to do a really high country elk hunt so a couple of years ago I, I did um, hired a guy named Seth Withrow who was a great great guide he took me up um, we camped at like 13,000 feet it looked like we were on the surface of the moon and it was first season and it snowed it was hip deep snow as the hardest hunt I've ever done we carried camp carried everything it was just the two of us so you know 60 65 pound packs and it's before I had my light rifle so I was carrying a 11 pound rifle, right and <laughs> I shot my elk at I don't know I think I was at 12 6 or 124 something like that way Jeez. up right we hiked all the way up, we camped, we came all the way back down, went all the way back up in a saddle where we had spotted one. Um, and that's when I knew I needed to get in better shape because that <laughs> about killed me. so um after that then i sent my sights on the mountain goat right and so i uh, did a bunch of research and i found a, a guy that was reasonably priced and low frills right we stayed in a camper like i don't want to do a lodge hunt or any of that stuff and those things are great um love to do that when i'm older but right now i just i don't know i'm a little sadist i guess i like the pain so yeah <laughs> trying to do, th- do things the hard way um and so I really, I really took my fitness serious and, and hired a personal trainer and got in great shape and, you know, single-digit body fat, which is long since gone now. But <laughs> I, I, uh, I made it. And so we went up uh, to British Columbia, uh, just outside of Banff National Park, and and hunted mountain goat. And that was quite a hike—five, six-hour hikes up every day. Jeez, well, that's kind I... of the the nutshell evolution of how I started from, you know, a kid in Wisconsin running cornfields to really falling in love with just the idea of the West and then taking the first step to go do it and finding a little bit of success. And also having to change my mindset and redefine what success is, you know, I didn't kill something every time I went out, but I learned something new or I saw a new animal or figured out something new about them. Or I, you know, I got into, I got into elk and I got a shot off. So to me that was a win, right? Oh, yeah, just understanding the, the whole experience rather than just the kill and learning to glean so much joy from just that experience and being in a place where you you can do this. Yeah. I think, I think it's really interesting
1: hearing, hearing people who hunt the West and hearing their definition of success. And I'm not saying it's isolated to the West, but it seems more prevalent in the West. It's like, man, I didn't kill one, but I, I feel like it was a successful trip. I was in elk. I, I found the mule deer. I kind of figured them out. I didn't get close enough for a shot, but like hearing hearing how success is defined in different parts of the country, you know, some places it's like, did you get one? No. Or did you get a limit? No. Oh, well, right. it, wasn't, it wasn't a good hunt unless you got a limit. And I'm like, I've been on enough hunts where I get skunked or we go duck hunting and we shoot one duck and we're like, hey, we didn't get skunked. <laughs> we right. always say we limit out on friendship when we're out there. And I'm like, you know, success can be whatever you want it to be. Obviously, we're all going out there hoping that we're going to bring back meat, that we're going to have a cool story, you know, that we're going to shoot a 400 inch bull or a 200 inch buck or, you know, a world record, whatever we're hunting. But at the end of the day, if you go out there and you learn something, you have fun, you, you figure out the animals, even 5% more, 10% more than what you knew going into it that can be a successful hunt too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And I think a lot of a lot of success depends on where you're from too, right? For me, I grew up here in the Midwest hunting tree stands and watching deer walk under me and watching them play. Somebody who is from the West or from New Zealand or from Australia, right? They've never seen that. And so them yeah. coming here and sit setting up a tree stand, finding a funnel or finding a transition point between bedding and feed or finding a place where the does are hanging out where the bucks are cruising through and scent checking and setting a stand and actually getting one to walk under them. That would be huge. Right. I've talked to guys about that and they're like, Oh my God, it seems so overwhelming. Right. Because it's just not what they know. It's just different perspective, different perspective. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. I mean, what you
1: don't know is definitely more overwhelming than what you're used to, you know, to step outside your comfort zone and just say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to try to figure it out. Like that's when the fun starts for me. Like, I can go out to my property and shoot a coyote anytime I want. I can go sit in the same tree, but like, for whatever reason, I just get pumped about the unknown. It's so exciting to me. I want to learn all the different things that we can hunt here in the US and then in other, in other countries, you know, outside of these borders, but just trying things that I've never tried before. I don't know why it's, it's intriguing to me. It's always like the grass is always greener, but I just, I'm curious. I just got to test it. I got to try it. All right, guys, I'm excited to introduce the new age of accessing private property for hunting and fishing with Infinite Outdoors. I joined the Infinite Outdoors crew on a duck hunt in Colorado this fall, and the experience was unmatched. We were able to book the property right on their app, get directions to the blind and had the whole place to ourselves. All for a super reasonable price. Infinite Outdoors has developed a unique way to combine conservation, technology, and private land access all through their U.S. built app and website. By working closely with landowners and on-staff biologists, they aim to bring you the best parts of accessing private land at the touch of a finger. They provide adventures for big game, turkeys, waterfowl, fly fishing, upland birds, small game, predators, and more. As yearly leases get more expensive and secluded public land gets harder to find, I believe this is the way of the future. To check it out for yourself, download the Infinite Outdoors app or visit infiniteoutdoorsusa.com and use code NOMADIC15 for 15% off your annual membership of $39.99.
0: Well, they say growth happens at the edge of ourselves, right? So if you never press to the edge of your comfort zone, you never really know what you're capable of. And I think that's important for humanity and for humans to feel like they're they're doing, so, especially with some of the jobs we have now, right? Like I sit behind a desk all day and yeah. it's challenging, but it's not exciting always. So, I mean, even if uh, people aren't in a position where they have the time or the money or the resources to do some of these things, I mean, I remember being that when I was married and had little kids, I remember living in Madison, right? The capital city in Wisconsin and being real close to all that urban area, just finding a piece of public land and trying to figure it out. And I was able to go out and find a piece of little public land that was hard to access that nobody knew about. And I was able to shoot a really nice 10 point buck out of a tree stand on public land, close to an urban setting. And to me, that was a challenge that I took on and did. It was something that I could achieve. And So there's different ways to still get that same excitement and figure out what, you know, what gets you going and revs your motor, even if it's not um, what you'd like to do, there's different ways to approach it and still get the same satisfaction from hunting, right? That's what's so great about it. It's so uh, moldable and you can make, make it your own experience.
1: Oh yeah. That's, I mean, one of the big reasons that I wanted to do the podcast the way that I do is because I started finding about out about these different opportunities and hearing people's passion for them you know whether it's using a kayak or a canoe to get to your whitetail property on public land you know you go up a river along the lake shore or fishing city ponds in florida for peacock bass or shooting Mm -hmm. iguanas or pythons picking up moose sheds whatever that is i'm like man people need to know about this stuff they need to know about the sika deer hunting they need to know about the non-native species hunts down in texas they need to know about the waterfowl hunts in north dakota because there are so many opportunities within i mean you can go two states in any direction no matter what state you're in and find dozens of hunting and fishing opportunities and that's just something that i didn't know about growing up like we fished for walleye and pike and we (laughs) white-tailed deer hunted for nine days like that was it that was the extent and then hearing people like oh yeah man just went down the street and uh talked to this guy and went out and shot a couple of roosters and i'm like do you shop pheasants right here like i've lived here all my (laughs) life i didn't know we had pheasants here or oh i go turkey hunting and i'm like i just have to find out about all this stuff and if i can help inform people about these opportunities hopefully they're going to take it up and maybe find a new passion in it
0: yeah and it's great what you're doing right you're opening opening up the opportunity to a lot of people i know when, when i was a kid it was really tough um the internet wasn't around. We didn't know what was going on. It was hearsay, or I'd go down to the video store and get a VHS and see what was going on in the world, right? Yep. Uh, so, yeah. So with the with the advent of things like uh, Onyx and Hunt and Fool, and and just the, all the different websites, I mean, a big one for me was Rockslide, right? Aaron Snyder over at um, Kefaru and, and that whole group really taught me a lot. I gleaned a lot of information off of that when it started. I mean, I used to get a lot of good stuff off of archery talk. And there's so many good places. If you go and you spend the time and you care about it, you can learn anything you want and be way more prepared than I was when I went out the first time. I'm lucky <laughs> I'm alive. Some of the situations I got myself in out there. <laughs> That's funny. I.
1: The the fear or the danger in it, I mean, that's just got to add to it, right? You get out there and then you look back and you go, I was not ready for that at all. I could have gone right off the edge. I could have gone right down the mountain.
0: The first mule deer I shot in the breaks out there in Wyoming was right at dark and I was coming out solo. I had the whole thing boned and in my backpack. I had way more weight in my pack than I probably should have being unused to carrying that kind of a load. on on ground i wasn't familiar with and i got cliffed out and i had to go all the way back up all the way back around and it's just like that's how you learn i guess either either die or you learn (laughs) you die or you learn or you just get mortally injured and spend
1: your last few days out there hoping someone finds you now it's i mean it's cool though like you do you learn from those failures just as much if not more than you learn from successes like if you would have just easily made your way out like mm-hmm. oh i look at that here's a trail i walked all all the way out like who knows you might be back in that position the next time in a more treacherous area uh but when you make some of those mistakes you're only going to make once right like yeah I mean, you gotta be smart go back and do it
0: again you know, you don't jump off the cliff to see how deep it is i guess yeah <laughs> yeah go exactly. back go back up the mountain but no, no i've made a lot of mistakes i mean the first time i went to montana to bear hunt i uh, was with a buddy and talked him into coming with me i don't think he'll ever come again after what i put him through but it flooded that year i don't remember when this was it might have been 2016 or 17 18 something like that anyway they got a lot of a lot of spring runoff and a lot of rain and so where i had planned us to go the creeks were all high we couldn't cross them they were too fast and too dangerous and we tried to off trail it uh, got into some old slides and some old burns that had grown up and they were so thick and we we're just like yeah we'll just push through right we're tough oh my god <laughs> we didn't make it we ended up back at the truck at dark or sometime yeah. after dark right and we had lost about 30 pounds of sweat it was pretty pretty <laughs> wild but you learn to have a plan b and a plan c and okay well this didn't work out where else to go then it was like i didn't know that i didn't think of it so we had one spot where i was going to go in and camp and look at these slides and try to find some bear and When that failed, then we had to kind of punt and think on our feet and find, find some new spots. Didn't, didn't prepare well enough. So that taught me a valuable lesson to have some backup spots planned and prepare for whatever might go wrong. I think I got a flat tire up on a fire road on the side of a mountain on that same trip. So (laughs) only had one spare. Now I take two with me when I go. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of amateur mistakes and start learning. Yeah. If you, let's phrase
1: it this way. If you could go back. And talk to your 2009 or 2012 self when you're first getting it, you know, you're one or two hunts in out West or preparing for those hunts, or you're talking to somebody who's looking forward to doing something like that. Maybe this upcoming season, what would you, what would you tell yourself? What piece of advice would you give that person who's wanting to get out there and try these things?
0: Oh, that's a great question. I guess it depends on what they're going to do. I guess I would remind myself that a lot of it's mental you're going to talk yourself into giving up before your body's actually going to give up. So, yeah. um, you're a lot tougher than you think you are. Um, and the same, same note though, you're not as tough as you think you are. If you go out there unprepared, you're going to be miserable. So yeah. really, really prepare physically, um, as best as you can do a lot of walking, and a lot of hiking. you don't have to be Cam Haynes. Right. And very few of us are, I'm certainly not, Yeah. Um, but you can still be successful and have fun even if you're not cam. So, Uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of mental work, Um, know that it's going to rain, just embrace the suck, man, enjoy it, that you get to be out there, because nothing is going to go according to plan, Um, have a plan, work the plan, be prepared to change the plan, because the animals didn't read the script, the weather didn't read the script, right, any of the other hunters that might show up didn't read the script, so it's nice to plan, but just be, be, uh, go with the flow, be prepared for the unexpected and try to use it to your advantage. I mean, one example, I'll give you an example. I had a couple of spots that I really like to hunt for mule deer and uh, they're getting to be more and more hunters that are showing up now. I think more people are learning about um, the areas. And so I'm seeing more people. And so rather than hunting the deer, I started hunting the hunters and I figured out that same group of guys from Ohio like to come into the south side of this piece and walk a creek every single day and so on the days when the wind is out of the south I go to the north end and get up on top of this big flat mountain and wait for them to walk with their wind at their back and they scare deer out to me every time right so that wasn't my plan but I just read the situation and what they were doing I said well they they're either uh, new to hunting or they just don't care or they're just out for a walk or whatever but they're pulling in there every single day even when the wind's wrong so I'm going to use that to my advantage and I
1: shot deer that way you're just letting strangers do a good wind drive for you
0: yeah that's exactly right I mean I could have got upset said oh you know these guys have ruined my spot and I don't even shouldn't even come here anymore and just left but I, mean, I would have missed an opportunity so yeah man that's good I I hear a lot of people talk about that
1: is using the other hunters, whether they're reckless, they just don't care, or they're inexperienced, you can really use them to your advantage. You know, you see pressure, like pressure is going to move animals. And for the most part, you're not going to blow animals out of an entire unit, you know, like they're just going to move somewhere that they feel safe and stay there. And I've watched animals do it from a distance, you know, they'll Mm -hmm. just skirt right below the rim of hunters walking up on a ridge. And they will be 50 yards from them. the hunters have no idea elk feel totally safe or the mule deer feel, feel totally safe. And so like you can use that to your advantage. And like you said, don't get discouraged. Don't just bounce out of there and say, Hey, this is a waste of time. Like figure yeah. out how, how to use those people, even though they have no idea. I mean, those guys have no clue that they helped you get multiple, multiple mule
0: deer. Right. But it's, oh, no. it's a great trick. Yep. Yeah. You just read the situation. And if there's a way that you can use them, use them. If, it, if, if there's not and you got a bail, you know, that's okay too. But uh, take the time to think about it and look at the situation, survey what you got in front of you, uh, and see how you can make the best of it. Yeah. I'm assuming. I can tell you, you how, how many times I was on my way walking out someplace and given up and been like, uh, I'm going to check this. Yep. I'm like, okay, I'm going to check this drainage or I'm going to check that little creek that looks like a spot. There was a couple of years back when I was hunting a spot that was really good to me, but it rained and I sat in the rain all day and I was glassing and nothing and the sun finally came out and I sat and I glassed and I glassed and I glassed and there was just nothing and I gave up and I was walking out and I said, you know, I'm just going to check that, that creek, that creek looks good. And I walked up that creek and I stopped and I looked and there a mule deer buck laying there in the, in the sagebrush. And all I could see was the glint off the tip of his antlers. And I just laid down and put my rifle on him and I laid there about 20 minutes and he stood up and I shot him you know, if I would have just kept going and said, Nope, I'm done. I never would have seen him. Yeah. But I'm like, ah, just, it's just part of who I am. I guess is my personality too. Like, I just don't want to give up. So I was on my way coming out. I'm like, I got to check that. I can't walk back to the truck and not check that Creek. Yep. And it,
1: and it worked out. So that's awesome. I, I found myself doing that uh, shed hunting, except it didn't turn out so great. Most of the time <laughs> I would get so excited. And I'm like, Uh, That might be a stick, but that also might be an antler. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go and look. And then like nine out of 10 times, it wasn't anything. Or like the one time that it was, it was like a chalk white piece that was busted off and was six inches long. Uh, But I get it. You know, your curiosity and the, the payment for regret is way, way more than the bill for your curiosity. You know, like walking over there is going to take a little bit of energy spending that extra 30 minutes or an hour or two hours yeah that's great but going going home and then just going like man I should have checked I should have checked
0: (laughs) yeah when you've got a 17 hour drive home back to Wisconsin you get a lot of time to think about all the things you should have done so I've made that drive many times now so um, I guess the older I get the more I'm just like yeah I'm here might as well look yeah absolutely and I've I've driven most of my trips. This one to New Zealand was the first one that I've flown. So when I went to British Columbia, I drove the whole way. It was like 30 hours in the truck. Dang. I've driven to to Idaho, Spokane, Montana several times. So I like to have my my truck with me. I feel more comfortable when I've got my vehicle and all my stuff. and all set up the way that I want it. Yeah. Like a little, There's... little piece of home with me. Yeah, I mean there's a definitely a comfort
1: feeling with that. I hate renting vehicles for that same reason. Like my truck was in the shop not that long ago and I had I had a rental that I had to take down to southern Oklahoma. And I was just like, I just feel weird. Like I feel really I feel like I'm hanging out with somebody else's wife right now. Like this is just I need my truck. I need my stuff. I know where everything goes in it. I know, you know, like if anything were to go wrong on the side of the road, like I know where all my stuff is. And in this yeah. rental truck, it just it's different, but I feel you
0: brother. I was just in New Zealand and I was rented a car and drove on the wrong side of the damn road for three weeks. So <laughs> it was something else. <laughs> yeah. That'd be odd. Yeah. I didn't kill anybody that I know of. So I think we're okay. That's
1: good. Uh, speaking of like equipment, having all your stuff with, I'm assuming that your equipment has changed significantly from being decked out in blaze orange with your rifle that you need to shoot. I mean, I don't know, down in the driftless area, maybe you guys make farther shots, but growing up in Eau Claire, it was like 75 yards was my farthest shot through the woods, you know? Um, But I'm assuming your, your gear, uh, your clothing, your rifle and optic obviously have improved. Um, What other stuff have you, have you kind of taken to the next level as far as gear goes?
0: Yeah. uh, Great questions. My gear, all of it, has kind of evolved over the years. Uh, I mean, I was a Walmart guy for a long time, right? That's what I could afford. Yep. As a kid in high school, right? And so I was working to pay bills and keep him fed. Um, I've gone through several iterations of backpacks. Um, I'm kind of a pack junkie. I love them, uh, and I just keep trying to find newer and better and lighter and stronger. And um, so I've used, I've used all probably all of the major manufacturers of backpacks, and. Um, I now I'm, um, I'm a Kefaru and a stone glacier guy. So I've got both, um, yeah. I think they're both, both great packs, uh, for different reasons. So depending on what I'm doing, I'll use one or the other. Um, yeah, my rifles, I mean, I had a, up until just the last two years, um, two years ago, I started buying more expensive rifles, but I mean, I had a old Tika 695 30 out six that I used forever. Um, and then I bought. A Ruger American Predator 400 rifle or whatever in 6.5 yep. Creedmar and put like a cheap Vortex diamondback scope on it and I killed everything I pointed it at right antelope, yeah. mule deer, whitetail up until just recently and um, then I got into some of the more expensive I said I'm gonna start spending all this money on on uh these these guided hunts I need a more expensive rifle now whether that's sound logic or I was just giving myself an excuse to buy new rifles. I don't know, but <laughs> I got them anyway. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but all that stuff that was quote unquote cheap, right. Or inexpensive, man, it, it treated me fine. It treated me good. Um, I spent a lot of, a lot of time on the forums, picking up used gear too. all my KU and Sitka. And I mean, this first light shirt I'm wearing, I mean, it's got holes in it. It's been worn and used. It's all beat up. I buy stuff used secondhand. Um, I hardly ever buy anything new. Yeah, so that's kind of how I've how I've crept up uh, in caliber of gear. I did realize after being out there, right? Like having good gear, not wearing cotton in the mountains and things like that, having good rain gear stuff that can help keep you alive if you're in a situation where you're miles in is pretty important. You got to have good gear and know what you're doing.
1: Alright guys, if you've been listening to the podcast, I'm sure you've heard me talk about the helicopter hog hunt that I did down in Texas. Now I went down there with Rogue Texan Outfitters, and Landon and Brandon, the owners, put us on the animals. We killed 150 pigs and 19 coyotes just from the air. On top of that, we went out thermal hunting at night and got up close and personal to more hogs. I didn't have to worry about bringing guns or ammunition because all of that was provided for me, and it is to this day the most action-packed day of hunting I've ever had I stand by what I've said in the past and that's that helicopter hog hunting is the funnest thing that you can do with pants on in addition they offer sandhill crane hunts and predator calling so if you're looking for the most exciting hunt of your life and something that you're going to want to come back and do year after year go check out roguetexan.com and book your hunt today protecting your body not only is it like it can legitimately save your life, but even in those non-life threatening situations, it makes you more comfortable. And when you're comfortable, when you're not miserable, when your toes aren't freezing cold or, you know, like you're sweating bullets, you can hunt better. You can be more alert. You're, you're going to just be there mentally instead of being in like dude, what am I doing here? This is miserable. I'm frozen. I'm <laughs> soaked all the way through every layer of clothes is soaked. I don't know how I'm going to get them dry, like invest in gear. And like you said, go on the forums. I've sold, I've sold a lot of stuff over the years through Facebook marketplace. I'll just hop yep. on there, sell stuff on the Missouri hunting and fishing page or the gear swap or whatever. And I'll find stuff on there too. Lately. I've yeah. been like, I'm just going to buy it. Like, I'll think about it way too late and I'll be like, you know what? I forgot I was supposed to order this for this hunt in three Uh weeks. And then I'm just like, all right, this one's going to be a new purchase. Hop online, order it. Hopefully it gets here in time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I still have the same pair of binoculars I bought 15 years ago on Facebook marketplace. There's some Meopta, Meostar 10 by 42s. I think I paid like 350 or 400 bucks for them. They're thousand dollar binoculars. I still have them. That's the only thing I use. They're great. Dude,
1: that's awesome. I mean, and you can find everything out. Like you were talking about earlier, how to hunt these different things, you can find everything online. YouTube is like the number one university out there. You know, like you can co- you can go and become a mechanic or a dentist. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you're yeah. not going to be credentialed, but like you can figure out how to be a dentist on YouTube. And yeah. uh, to go on there and look up reviews, I do that if I'm ever buying something for hunting now. I'll go on and look at reviews. I'll look at all the reviews that I can find on Amazon. You know, if it's got 13 reviews and it's like three star, I'm like, no, I'm probably not going to get that, you know, (laughs) but then I see even not hunting related, I'll see something that's got 16,000 reviews and it's 4.8 stars. I'm like, this must be pretty good. You know, either that or they pick some foreign company to just go on and leave a bunch of reviews, but I make sure I do my research and, and figure out what's good. And then on top of that, I'll go on YouTube and I'll watch people actually use it, whether it's a choke for a turkey hunting and they're out there patterning a 410 or it's an optic that, you know, they're shooting 1100 yards with or clothes that they've tested and worn on multiple hunts, because that's the other thing with, with gear, you know, you don't want to spend all this money and find out it's crap. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to see one person or like your buddy from a different state who's never hunted the conditions you're about to is like oh dude i use it it's great and then you take it up to alaska and you realize this is not made for this terrain
0: yeah well and that the advent of all those forums really really did help i mean and you still have to wade through a lot of the the bs right there's plenty oh yeah of, plenty of misinformation and other stuff out there but if you're relatively intelligent you take it with a a you know, logical, common sense mindset. And sometimes you just got to try things too, you know? I mean, boots have been tough for me. Uh, My feet hurt, man. I've gone through all kinds of different boots. Even now I've got boots I really like and they still, my feet hurt when I come down out of the mountains. It's just it's hard to find. So nothing's going to be perfect. Life hurts, right? It just does. Yeah. There's a certain amount of discomfort that you're going to have. But what I found, I ended up going to mountaineering boots. I don't even use hunting boots. If I'm going into the mountains on a big, like on a sheep hunt or a mountain goat hunt or my tar hunt, I wear La Sportiva mountaineering boots. Yeah. Because that's the best for me. Is it the best for everybody? No. It just depends on what you like, but um, you can definitely, do the research. I mean, I'm an engineer. I build a spreadsheet. And I put, okay, I want this. I want that. I start doing all the comparisons. What does it cost? Different websites. Where can I find it? And you can play some games too, right? Like, oh, this place has like a 30 day tryout period, so I can buy it and spotting scope, and I can put it on my tripod, in my living room, and I can look across the street and see if, uh, you know, the neighbors are out in their yard or whatever. And if I don't like it, I'll send it back. It didn't cost me anything but some shipping. Yeah. All right. So there's ways to test stuff out.
1: Yeah, and I mean, a lot of this shows like. You can go to shows, local shows like sporting goods things. Most oh, yeah. states have one within you know a hundred or two hundred miles of where people live, and you can go and check out the new stuff coming out. A lot of times they'll have things that have been out for ten years and brand new stuff that they're coming out with. And I've really enjoyed that. I never went to shows growing up. Like I, like I said, nine days in the woods and walleye and pike fishing. That's what we did. We didn't go to these cool events and all the vendors are out there but now walking around and actually getting to look at things side by side like hey this is what i like about this i'm going to try on this boot or this hiking shoe i'm going to climb up in this tree stand versus that tree stand and you can actually get to see it or go to shields you know (laughs) go to shields or bass pro and look at them side by side walk through and bug that guy at the gun counter to look at every optic that you're interested in and see what what fits best the problem is a lot of people are just I don't, I don't want to say a lot of people. I used to be the guy who would go in and I was so excited that I'd find something and I'd be like, I, I want that. Like, I got to have that. And I wouldn't check. Right. I wouldn't compare. I wouldn't do anything. And then I'd find out, Hey, there's a much better option. It's actually cheaper and more durable.
0: Well, and that's a easy trap to fall into, right? We're kind of in a society now of instant gratification and next day delivery and instant yep grocery delivery and all that stuff so it's easy to get used to uh just getting what we want when we want it immediately Uh, and there's a lesson there too even in the hunting community right just if you take your time you know prepare early do your research and even when you're in the field like eh, take your time just learn to mosey a little bit and you're surprised how, how that'll change your experience we don't uh we don't need to get everything that we want immediately actually had that conversation with a young cousin of mine. He was looking at some of my pictures on my Facebook page and saying, how do you afford to do all this? I'm like, well, I couldn't when I was your age, right? It took a yeah. lot of time. I had to pay off my student loans. I had to get my son through school and get him out on his own. And then I had to go through a divorce and I had to buy a house and I had to wait. And now I'm in my forties and now I can afford it. You know, there's some, something to be said for having some patience. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're into the instant gratification, I don't know if going out West and doing those hunts (laughs) is going to be the right thing for you anyways. But yeah, I, I agree. I get people all the time, dude, how do you, how do you build a social media so quick? How do you, I'm like, listen, not everybody does it. You know, there's a lot of people that put in a lot of time and it doesn't go anywhere. Or for me, they're like, dude, so you just like took a leap of faith and quit your job and started this podcast. I'm like, well, I mean, we built a business and then, We saved up a bunch of money and gave ourselves a cushion. And then I said, all right, I'm not going to do that anymore. And, you know, I had six, nine, 12 months, whatever it was that I could try to build the podcast, try to build social media. And if it didn't work,
0: I'd go right back to busting my butt, you know? Yeah. But people see the end result and not all uh the work that goes into it. And I think sometimes that's a deterrent to them to want to start. And I mean, people are listening to this if they are feeling overwhelmed or like they can't do it because they're not you or me or cam Haynes or whoever else. I'm like, I'm nobody special, man. I'm just a random ordinary dude who just figured it out and took, takes a lot of time, but you don't see all the work ahead of time. Right. So it took a lot of arguments with my ex-wife over (laughs) buying gear and being gone. And it took a lot of, uh, time in the gym and time testing out gear and time behind the rifle and just how many times I stayed up all night and not even slept while I was trying to get a job out so that I could be done so I could go look at my laptop my personal laptop and figure out what pack I wanted or what boots I needed or when do I need to put in for those tags right so there's all kinds of prep work that happens and if you're in that position where you're just starting just start right I mean nobody gets to the top of the mountain without getting out of the truck You got to start someplace. So just start and start working and and going and you can get there. Don't look at people. Don't look at the people who are already there and say, well, I'm never going to be there because you already beat yourself then. Yep. Oh yeah. If I, if
1: honestly, if I hadn't had a wife that just told me to shut up about starting a podcast (laughs) and do it, like I'd be, I'd be in that same boat. I'd be the guy going, man, why can't I do that? You know, it's like, it's always that first step it's the hardest one. And then once you take three, four, five, you're building some momentum, you decide you're not going to go, you're not going to slow down. And before you know it, there's little wins that turn into
0: big wins all the way along the way. You know, it's all about prioritizing, right? And if that's something that's important to you, maybe you've got to give up your Bud Light habit, right? Or your Mountain Dew habit, or you've got to stop going out to eat, you know, with your buddies after golf every week or something, right? You can make little changes and save the money and or save the time or make compromises with your partner or whatever it is you can get there if that's really what's important to you it's just a matter of putting the right pieces in place and making the priorities Absolutely. I tell you at least in my life it's been worth it because I mean I, I the way I look at it I'm not going to live forever most of the men in my family die young my dad died it uh, in the 60s you know my grandfather died in the 60s I'm already in my 40s to me it's about opportunities and, and experiences. And so that's what I'm trying to do is just live the experiences uh, while I can, and while I'm still young enough, and my knees are holding out, and I can do it. I'm gonna spend as much time chasing critters and, and exploring wild places as I can. Because when I'm laying there, and I'm on my deathbed, man, I don't care about having a new pickup truck. I care about telling my grandkids stories about chasing mountain goats across the Canadian Rockies and flying to New Zealand to chase Himalayan tar at the top of the world you know that's kind of the cool stuff that that's what gets me going so
1: oh yeah i'm sure everybody everybody wants that inheritance they want that old classic vehicle <laughs> that's been untouched for years and years yeah. but it's like man the the stories and the knowledge is going to be way more worth you know that car is going to rest eventually you know that $5000 that you might get it's not going to be worth anything 10 years from now and uh i feel the same way like those stories And the experience that you can pass down to the next generation. Like I wish going back, I wish I could have sat down more with my grandparents and just picked their like, dude, what was life like when you were growing up? Like my grandpa, he hunted when he was a kid. I never sat down and asked him his stories. Right. And I'm like, dude, I wish I had, I really, really wish I had or document, you know, just go with your phone and hit record and sit down and chat for hours and and save that stuff but uh we're coming up on an hour which is crazy to me it seems like we've been talking for like 15 minutes um what's what's next like you've done a ton of these big time hunts what's next on the uh list of hunts to knock out
0: well right now i'm trying to decide if i'm gonna sell my camper and my harley to pay for a sheep hunt because i think that's the next one that's the big the big one um I've also got taxidermy to pay for. I really like taxidermy, which is a bad habit, but um, <laughs> that's what my son's going to inherit is a small house packed to the gills with taxidermy. But <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's really what's on my radar is a dull sheep hunt, because I yeah. think that's that's like another pinnacle of really difficult, you know, hunting the interior, chugak range, bad weather, difficult terrain low numbers of animals really wary and difficult uh, that's what i've been what i've been searching but i'm not sure my kidneys are worth enough to be able to sell them to do it i'm gonna see
1: <laughs> you're like man i should have sold those and just invested the money back in the day <laughs> yeah. i can pay for it now
0: man so, that yeah that's, is what, gonna I'm, be a that's crazy what i'm looking
1: one. at yeah i i can't imagine i've done i've been on one mountain goat hunt and that was one of the craziest most dangerous hunts i would ever been on And it wasn't for me. It was for a buddy of mine. Um, But hearing the stories of the doll hunts, I mean, it just seems nuts. Alaska and like up British Columbia. I mean, a lot of Canada is just crazy to me. It's a foreign place. And although although the Rocky Mountains here in the U.S. are awesome, like, dude, things are so much bigger up there. People don't realize (laughs) it. It's like... It's like the Rocky Mountains had Rocky Mountains on top of them. Yeah, I've never been to
0: Alaska, so it's someplace I've always wanted to bend. So it's it's kicking off a couple of kicking off a couple of boxes on the bucket list. Um, being excuse me, being in Alaska and, and hunting doll sheep are are right up there. Uh moose, I'd love to hunt a big moose, but it's also getting cost prohibitive. I don't think I'll ever be able to do it. Um, an Alaskan or Yukon moose. Um there's some other things I'd be interested in doing, but maybe when I'm older, uh, don't, not, not quite as taxing on the knees, maybe a caribou hunt, although trudging across that tundra is not exactly a stroll in the park. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm working on now. Um, another thing in the back of my mind is someday I'd like to go back, now that I know a little bit, I'd like to go to New Zealand and try to get a tar by myself. Nice. Just to do it solo man i think the the prohibiting factor there is is probably the vehicle to get up into the drainages to get to them yeah that that'd of, be wild guys are hunting them with helicopters now which is just not my forte so i'm not willing to do that yet yeah yeah one day you're
1: gonna be like all right my knees i thought my knees were bad back then <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> you know what it put me in the chopper um that's well, sweet, you, you got
0: any big ones you got any big ones coming up
1: you know, uh, I'm gonna it, it's gonna be interesting going out to Colorado this year for elk. Um, I know the winter kill was terrible in a lot of units around where we hunt. And okay. so we'll see. I know from the sound of it, there's a lot of date changes and their shortening seasons. So I think that's gonna be pretty interesting. We're actually down in Florida right now. We'll be here until the end of June. And um I'm hoping to connect with some guys. One, I went and looked at rods and reels today. I want to <laughs> catch a shark. I I mean, like, real bad. I want to catch a shark. I was watching guys cast net for bait fish today. I was watching snook and, oh, gosh, angel fish and all kinds of different fish swimming underneath this pier. And I told my wife, if we're going to be here for this long, I'm buying a couple rods and reels, and I'm going to go out. I'm going to start biking to the beach every morning before sunrise and i'm going to catch a shark from the beach and so that's like bucket that's immediate bucket list i have to do that before i leave florida and then there's a couple guys that i've talked to in the past about pig hunting down here one of them actually python and iguana hunts and i'm like i'd like to get out and do those it's just like very unique things that i never even like even in all the years of planning out like i want to do this hunt and this hunt and this hunt pythons and iguanas that never crossed right. my
0: mind yeah and now
1: that i know it's a thing i'm like i have to do this like i can't pass this up so
0: yeah no that shore fishing is is cool when i when i was in college i was over in manitowoc yeah and so i'd go up before work to or after work to two rivers and cast off the docks uh in the marinas and i got a like a 20 pound king salmon from shore that was was a good one so that's if you ever get a chance to get a good west blow all the cold water comes in the salmon will be in chasing alewives and you can catch catch some big salmon from shore on lake michigan that's a
1: trip dude you're talking i mean my whole my mom's whole side of the family is from manitowoc and two rivers and michigan and so i'm i'm up there at least once a year maybe a couple times a year depending on the year so I need to I just need to go back I feel like at some point I'm going to go back to Wisconsin and hit all the things that I never did growing up because now my mom my mom calls me she's like drew a bear tag again and I'm like (laughs) you gotta be kidding me she's drawn it like three times now and I'm like uh between that obviously I can't hunt elk up there unless I'm a resident who knows what's happening with the wolf stuff now I keep thinking like man wolves in wisconsin you know they've opened season a couple times given out limited tags that's pretty high up on my bucket list i think that'd be a lot of fun but there's a lot in wisconsin and now they've opened freshwater spearfishing for certain species uh and so i just need to go back to the homeland and and experience all the things that i missed out on because i was busy focusing on a nine-day rifle
0: hunt Right. Yeah. There's a lifetime worth of stuff to do just in the state, let alone the whole country. So it, it's really never ending. Uh, one thing you asked me before about big hunts and I, I passed this one over because it's not a big hunt um, from a animal standpoint, but uh, this year I talked my son into applying for mule deer and antelope with me and in Wyoming, yes. so we're going to find out here I think on the 15th they draw, so be the first time I take him with me out west if we get tags, so that's really exciting for me, because I don't get to spend much time with him now that he's 24 and spending all his time chasing other game
1: <laughs> chasing other tail uh, yeah,
0: pretty much, yep that's funny, so that'll be fun, hopefully we draw tags, and I get to spend spend a week or two with uh, with the boy teach him a little bit of what I learned over the years here Well, your luck can't be
1: worse than mine. I think I'm at 0% on everything that I've put in thus far. There's still (laughs) a couple that I'm waiting on, but so far I haven't drawn a single tag that I put in for, and a couple of them were things like a mule deer tag out in Colorado. I had a couple points in a unit that should only take one. And I don't know if it's the winter kill thing again or what, but I was like banking on, I was like, I guarantee I'm going to be out there elk and mule deer hunting this fall. And my mule deer came back unsuccessful. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, honestly, that's part of the reason I started looking at hunting overseas. And I went to Canada and I went to New Zealand because, for the prices, I, I you can't draw tags in a lot of places now. I mean, I used yeah. to hunt Idaho a lot, and Idaho changed their system for elk hunting. You know, you have to know in December where you're going to go, and I don't know in December where I'm going to go. Yep. A lot of the units in Colorado, you just can't ever catch up. The math doesn't work out with points. Point creep's too bad. You can't get there. Um, you know, Wyoming's going to increase their tag prices next year. So you start looking at what is it going to cost me to go to Canada or what's it going to cost me to go to New Zealand versus what's it going to cost me to go to Colorado. It wasn't that much different. So yeah, and I can get tags so I don't have to worry about drawing. So I don't know. I kind of got tired of playing the point game because it wasn't working out in my favor very well. I
1: almost pulled or I almost quit putting in for Colorado for moose because, in looking at it numbers wise, it's going to be cheaper for me to go to Alaska and hunt a moose than it is for me just to go to Colorado. Yeah. I mean, the tag is $2,400 and it's a $100 preference point fee every year. And I'm yep. like, by the time I draw that, I'm going to be five grand into it at least. That's if they don't bump the price up for a preference yeah. point and for the tag. So. I I had
0: 10 Colorado elk points and I just burned them on a unit that only took three or four because I just was done, done with it. I still have a bunch of mule deer points in Colorado. I still like to do a high country mule deer hunt someday, but I don't know. I might end up just dying with those points (laughs) before (laughs) I ever get to draw them. I don't know.
1: There's probably, I wish you could will points to people, you know, like that'd be a whole new business now is just calling up old guys like, Hey man, how much to put me in your will for these points. Yeah. Right. It's yeah, it's going to be interesting, man, to see how I think that's one of the I don't want to say downsides because it's opening up people's eyes to opportunities that are out there. But now people realize just how doable it is. And now you have so many people putting in to where, like you said, there's people who have there's people who have 15, 16 points you might not ever draw. And it's unfortunate, but um, we'll see. We'll see kind of what happens in these different states. It's wild.
0: My, my spot in Wyoming, it used to be 100%, clients calling me, sorry, 100% um, for antelope and mule deer every, every year with no points. I could just draw a tag whenever I wanted. And now antelope is like 17% success rate of draw, and Jeez. mule deer is like maybe 50. So, yeah. yeah, it's really changed in the last decade. It's really taken off all these things that we've talked about today right like the all the forums and everything how good all that is one of the downsizes now a lot more people know about it and have access to it and so it's creating more competition but that just means we got to be sharper and smarter when we get out there and hunt harder to do do uh do a little more work but oh absolutely well there's still man, plenty of opportunities if you look there are and that's the thing it's
1: like you don't have to look all the way out west you could you could look probably in the next county south or north or the next state over and there's cool opportunities. There's elk opportunities starting to pop up in a lot of the Eastern states. And uh, it'll be interesting. I'm excited. I think more and more States are going to open up elk. It hopefully is going to relieve some of the pressure from the West and uh, hopefully things kind of even out. There's a lot of organizations out there doing great work with habitat improvement with population surveys. And so um, I think I think we're going to see a lot of change in the next 10 years for the better. Fingers
0: crossed. Here's hoping. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you hopping on. I don't want to take up your whole night before we hop off. Where can people find you? Where can they go check out some
0: of these pictures from the hunts? Because they are some killer pictures. Uh, yeah. So I don't use social media a whole lot, but I do have an Instagram, but I put some hunting pictures on once in a while. I think it's, flat crazy underscore mountain hunter. Um, and then just, you know, my Facebook page is just me. It's just Josh Isley, but sweet. Uh, not too exciting other than hunting and pictures of my kid. I don't know if there's much up there, but yeah, no, that's
1: awesome. I mean, people like a good picture. They really do. And I mean, hearing the stories and then being able to see the pictures, I think that'll be, that'll be pretty cool for the listeners, but man, I really do appreciate it let me know how that doll sheep goes. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> yeah. hopefully I'm seeing pictures of that here in the next season or two and yeah, uh, start a GoFundMe
0: page. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's the way to do it. Just get other people to foot the bill. There you go. I'll take some good pictures for you. I promise. I, no, I, I really appreciate everything you're doing, man. Keep it up. Uh, the podcast is great. Um, keep fighting the good fight out there and, and you know, you're helping to support a great industry and, and a great way of life. So thanks for having me on it. It's been an honor
1: absolutely man
0: well take care and uh
1: i'll actually be up in superior in uh end of july for the bow fest the big music festival um up in superior so uh Sweet. if you if you get the itch to go up there and shoot some bows and hear some music come on yeah. up. yeah all right sounds good